KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hello. Hello, you <laughs> sexy <weird> thing. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this sexy COVID voice, so I'm just trying to milk it. I don't know what for, though, like who for, but anyway. <laughs> you poor thing. Second time around. How do you feel? Uh, I feel it's definitely different this time. It, more fluey. Like I'm, I'm a bit better today, but I'm not like uh, the other few days I've just been like sneezing nonstop and coughing and like just like all blocked up and yucky and um, just so tired. So tired. And I thought on, so on Sunday morning, Dalton, I got the flu shot. We felt completely fine. And then on Monday, I was so tired, so tired, but no, nothing else, just exhausted. I didn't know why. And I thought, oh, it must be because of the flu shot. And my mm. arm was killing me where the flu was. I was like, must be that. And then Dalton was going to see a friend. Um, he had to go into into hospital. And so he was having a test, did a test to check before he went in. And he was super tired too. But like, we just, it was just tiredness. I don't know. And I feel mm. like I've done so many mm. COVID tests lately and they're all negative. So I was like, didn't even think. And then I walked in inside, like I was just outside, out not out of the home, just in the, in the home outside. Oh my God, you do not have to. I mean, even if you were like anywhere else, anyway. you didn't even know. I didn't know anyway. And, I, and he said, guess what? And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, we've, I've got COVID. And I was like, oh no. And in the the past 30 minutes, I was actually recording a voiceover for um, one of a kick TikTok video to send to Bales from our team, our awesome social media specialist. And while I was doing it, I was like, what is wrong with my voice? And I had to keep drinking so much water and do it so many times because I could not get it without sounding a bit sick. I was like, but I'm fine. Anyway, did the test positive. So yes, that was, that was that. Uh, and now we're just home. And I have to say it is the last time Dalton didn't have COVID. This is the first time we did. Didn't catch it off me last time. I caught it off him. And he is being a pain in the butt because he's, he has this right. So I've been sicker than him, which we have the same thing. We both have COVID, but I'm sicker. <laughs> and he has been like avoiding me in the house because he says I'm germy. And I'm like, mate, you gave me this. <laughs> He's like grumpy because I'm so germy. I'm like, you gave this to me. We have the same thing. So <laughs> oh my leave gosh. me alone. Anyway, it's bringing, it's like what you said the other week about when you had the flu and you were like isolating at home. It's just like bringing back those memories of like just working from home. To, like I, I'm, I'm resting. I'm not pushing myself at all. But there, obviously there's a few things like the podcast and stuff that we need mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and just before even when we went to start recording, Dot was on the phone, like on speaker. And I was like, oh, this just gives me. Takes you back. 2020 vibes of being like, mm. I'm doing a podcast. Be quiet. He's like, well, why can't, why, like, why do you get priority? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. But your lovely husband dropped us over coffee and chocolate, which is very kind. Very, very, <laughs> I'm very. Glad. I actually haven't had, that's how much I felt. Like, you know me, if I'm not drinking a lot of coffee, there's something going on. The past few days, I mm. haven't even been able to finish one coffee. Uh, so anyway, but I'm really enjoying this, this store-bought coffee from, 
from Josh. So that <laughs> that is me. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I feel I feel terrible that you're in isolation. I've missed you this week, but oh, uh, I'm good. I can't complain. I've been well, and I'm not sick, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, and it, you know, what's been really good is because I was fluey a couple of weeks ago. I've been able to kind of get back into my active routine. And I think anyone that is kind of in a state of, you know, whether you've got the flu or an injury or anything, you totally understand how much that can affect you mentally when you know it's best to like not move your body and to, and to let it rest. But then you get through that period and you feel better. And then now you've got to like build up the habit again and like make it make it a habit. So I'm just working through that at the moment. And the other thing I think that's challenging at the moment is my motivation to build a bit of a schedule or a routine for myself is there. But there's not like I don't have as much flexibility as I once did. And I'm still getting used to that, you know, obviously balancing work with then mum life and like wanting to spend a lot of time that I'm not working with Harvey it's really hard to find that me time and it's funny because I've always been someone who's like made time for me time like no matter what I make time for it because I know how important it is but it's it's really hard so anyone out there who feels like they're out of habit but they have the motivation but they just don't feel like they have the time it's I feel you and I'm in that wave at the moment but I've been pretty good the last couple of days of like setting some things in place to I think remove a few barriers and I'm really hoping that over the next couple of weeks I start to feel a little bit more myself because yeah I kind of miss that 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 feeling of like being super energized and strong and I love that I've been able to still move here and there and I think that's what I've loved about the workout and winter challenge is obviously other than the week that I was sick it has been something that I can follow. It has been something that I could stick to being that it was three Pilates sessions that I could do at home. I've been able to do that. And so it feels like I'm still accomplishing something. It feels like I'm still moving my body. But yeah, I'm really keen to kind of step it back up because I was once someone who, you know, would work out six days a week because that's what felt good good for me and I would make all the time in the world for it. And it's just different. It looks different these days and that's okay. But finding the new routine in the in the thick of it and um, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good well that's that's good I yeah I really do you feel like you know I feel like we were we were well I'm still on the stage of being annoying but you know how I feel like we say like no matter what like find me time and now as you're a mum and you like shut up <laughs> it's really hard okay you can't just it's like it. it's not just hanging around <laughs> no and it's one of those things that's like I can find it but and I don't want to use the word permission, but like I can find it, but you have to, I have to talk to my partner about it. Like, you know, like equally if he wanted to make plans or whatever, you now have something that you are both very much responsible for. And that something is obviously when I'm saying something, I mean, Harvey. Your child. And so, <laughs> yeah. So like for me to make me time, I mean, personally, that means that I'm not it at work, It doesn't just obviously. affect you. And yeah, yeah. It means that Josh is has to be with Harvey or we have to organize someone for Harvey in that time and um, so it is it does take more effort to find the me time but there's still ways that you can so figuring that out at the moment and um, yeah I'm I'm looking forward to to kind of filling that void that void that I feel like I um I didn't realize it was missing I think because I was still finding little bits 
you know, here and there, like doing two or three Pilates workouts a week and I was still kind of having that. I didn't feel like it had completely gone, but I've realized after a period of time that that's kind of not enough for me personally to like really fulfill me and fill me with joy and like energize me for everything else that I do. Especially because you used to train like five to six times a week. So yeah. I think that's where the thing, and like with me, with it's the, all relative, a hundred percent, exactly right. So if you're building up, like three a week is great, and it just depends on mm. yeah what you're used to and you know how you like to train. So, well, I hope you, you know, the thing is, <laughs> the number one, what's the what, what am I trying to say? The no, the number <laughs> one, you've realised it and you're taking action. I feel like that's sometimes it's the hardest thing to do when you like there's something not wrong, but you just don't feel like you. Mm. First step. It's like starting a workout. It's the hardest part. Yep, Again, I probably sound really annoying when I say this. Anyway, I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a special share this week? I do. And it's something that I've shared on the podcast before, but it's a new season. So uh, Working Mums, which is a Netflix TV it, show I that love. That was my special share. Are you serious? I introduced you to that show, Missy Moo. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, but it was bloody years ago. And like when it first came out, it was all COVID times. And the funny thing is... Can I share it? my special no, share, please? You didn't want to watch it. You like didn't really like it that much, and I was like invested in making what? you like it. Yes. No. Absolutely not. I won't find it. That but it's is true. incorrect. No way. I refuse because I've loved it from the moment I started no. watching it. So I think you're thinking of a different show. No, working Are you thinking moms. of younger? No, working moms with the four, <laughs> the four moms. I've always loved it. I've like always been obsessed. Are you joking? No. <laughs> anyway, I remember what to I was <laughs> time into because I love the show so much. I had to. I feel like I have this vivid memory of having to invest time in making you love it too. But anyway, sorry, tell us no, your special that, that was you younger. Discovered. I swear, <laughs> it's not. I honestly think I'm that what you're remembering was younger. Find it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, anyway, from my memory, I've always enjoyed the show. But the funny thing is, is when I was watching it. There was a period where I don't think I was even pregnant and then I was pregnant and I was watching it and I think I just enjoyed it because it was like I was kind of thinking like, oh, that'll be me one day. Whereas now I'm watching it as a working mum and I just find it even funnier and like even more relatable because I am a working mum. So it's just, I don't know, but it's just one of those shows that's um, – and the episodes are so short, so easy to binge or Which even one just like slide Which do you in. feel you are? Oh, that's hard. I don't know. I feel I feel like I see a little bit of myself in Kate, but not fully. Like I'm not fully Kate vibes, but like I think like, I'm Kate vibes. You're, you you are I, Kate vibes. Yes, that's when I watch it, and sometimes when I've watched it, even though obviously I don't have any kids, I just start crying when I'm watching. Mm. <laughs> but also yeah. hilarious. But the thing is, is the only reason I say I'm Kate vibes is because I don't. I could not see like, I don't know. I relate less to the others. But they're all yeah, yeah. like, there's all, out of all the mums, I can kind of think of someone in my life that, you know, reminds me of them. But it's just, it's just so good. It's funny. It's, it's, it's a very uh, lighthearted watch, but obviously like covers some real issues and dramas as well. But I thoroughly enjoy it. And I always have. <laughs> well, you're such a liar. And obviously you don't, have, you don't have to sell it to me because I was the original seller. So <laughs> was that actually your special share today? No, no, no. I oh, just wanted to I thought say you said, that oh, I okay. have recommended that to you before. But anyway. Yes, you have. But I mean, that's good because you trust me. Anyway, <laughs> my special share today is actually the book um, of the author who we are interviewing today for this 
very special episode of the kick pod and the book is called the registrar we will go into all of the details obviously on in the book um in this conversation but it was a book that i could not put down i loved it it is a fiction book and which i don't usually read much much fiction but i loved it and it is i'm also very into the i love watching like Grey's Anatomy and all medical shows. And so this book is the behind the scenes at a hospital and it follows a trainee surgeon's journey. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. And so that's why I'm so excited for this podcast today. But yeah, I really recommend reading it. Really, really loved it. Couldn't put it down. And now you have a good one. Yeah, I know. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to read it. I mean, obviously I've flicked through it and after having this conversation that you guys were here today I am even more keen to read it I think when you know that there's a fiction novel I mean like I love reading fiction but I think when it's a fiction novel that you know has some truth to it as well it's it's like watching a movie that you know is based on a true story you just like it's more gripping in a way 100% anyway highly recommend anyway before we get into today's podcast conversation we've got some kick updates Steffi what have we got we are in the middle of our workout and winter challenge and the second part to our three-part workout and winter challenge is our July strengthen challenge where head trainer Danny has put us through a four-week full body challenge. It's combining both hit and strength resistance kind of training um, and I am so excited about it because I feel like it's been as I was touching on earlier, that kind of my routine and what's been missing and stuff like that. What has been missing from my routine is that strength element. I really miss doing kind of the heavier strength sessions or like really, really training my body with resistance. So I am so excited. I feel like all of the power Pilates has like set me right up for this. <laughs> right up for this. There is three workouts a week and six of them are brand new workouts, which will be dropping throughout the challenge. I'm so excited. And as, as well, if you like to train at the gym, which obviously some people do, some people like to do it at home. Obviously, all of our kickers listening that train at home, you'll have your, you know, your kettlebells, dumbbells at home. But it's also a really good one to, to do at the gym if you like to train at the gym. Absolutely. And keep an eye out on our socials as well, because Danny shares some great insightful tips of how you can kind of level up some of those moves that you'll see in the strength masterclasses throughout this challenge that you can use gym equipment for and also just some technique kind of check-ins and everything as well which is always important but yeah as Lozzie said like this is this is a great challenge to to do at the gym if you are there too um and we all are also still running our 50 percent off workout in winter offer which is 25 dollars on the quarterly subscription so 25 dollars for three months of kick you can head to our show notes for all the details or head to www.keepercleaner.com yeah, super exciting. And especially, don't worry if you didn't join us for the first month. The thing with this challenge is why we've kind of separated into three challenges in one big challenge. If Pilates wasn't for you or you weren't ready to join or maybe you had COVID like me, whatever it might be, and then now you want to get into it in July, come and join us. You haven't you haven't missed anything. You, you know, you, you have no. a little bit. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. The Pilates no. classes are all in the app as well. So you can, you can join us at the start of July and do, you know, the last eight weeks of the challenge. Yeah, so love it. I'm excited. I'm very excited for the strength as well. And now also we're going on a break. news, yeah. We are going. Well, it's sad news, but it's also exciting. Very exciting. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, okay, it's sad that we're going on a bit of a break, but there's news to that, which is exciting. Yes, so we are taking July off because from the, what is the month after July? Is it September? <laughs> no, oh, my gosh. 
August. <laughs> From the 1st of August, we are going to be a listener podcast, which is so, I feel like we've, you know, in terms of podcasting, listener is, you know, really but good. So we've made yeah, it. Yeah, it's up there. <laughs> yep. This is one of those made it moments. Yeah, it's really exciting. So we're going to be on the Listener Network from the 1st of August. Uh, We're going to have a producer. We're going to have all of these things that we've never had before and we're going to have videos. We're so excited. (laughs) Very excited. Now I'm going to have to start thinking about like, I mean, that's not very kick of me. I should probably just say, no, I don't give a crap about what I look like when we record a podcast. But like, I am actually going to genuinely think about that from now. Why? Because <laughs> we're going to be filmed for the first time. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Just you do you. All right. It's more about what we say. Uh, don't say that. Don't say that because we rocked up once to a interview podcast and I did me wearing activewear and a hoodie and you were just to the nines in like heels and a beautiful yeah, outfit. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So you better not be you better not be telling me that you do you and then you show up all glamorous for the first episode. Yes, it's going to be the first episode is black tie. Actually. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway, so that's exciting. So we're having one month off. Obviously you can go back and listen to it. If you're new, you have listened to them. There's lots of episodes that we've already done. So if you want to keep yourself, but there's also really keep yourself what? Keep yourself busy if you like to listen on Wednesdays. There's also a lot of great podcasts out there. So lucky there's lots of options. <laughs> but we'll be back in August. Anyway, anyway, today's podcast. Sebi, who do we have? Yes, today's guest is very special one. Her name is Dr. Neela Janakiramanan. And Dr. Neela is a reconstructive plastic surgeon with expertise in complex hand and wrist surgery. And she was actually one of the medical leads in the Kids Off Nauru campaign. And she brought together the Australian medical community and operationalised the Australian medevac legislation to facilitate medical care for refugees in offshore detention. So she is an incredible woman. And as I mentioned as my special share, her brand new book, which is a work of fiction, is called The Registrar. And it was actually shortlisted for the 2021 Victorian Premier's Award for an unpublished manuscript. So you can take my word for it that I couldn't put it down, but also you can take the Victoria Premier's Award word, which probably is more than mine. Um, And obviously, as we talk about in, in this interview, it is a fiction book, but it offers a really rare insight into the world of a surgeon in the making who has actually survived it. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. We were so lucky to have Dr. Neela on the podcast. Just a note before we get into this conversation with Neela, this episode does cover sexual harassment and this may be triggering for some listeners. Neela, we are so honoured to have you with us today on the KickPod. Your book, The Registrar, was so captivating. I, I literally couldn't put it down um, from the moment that I got it. It was it's, it's such, a, such a great book. And before we dive into your story and the book, we would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. So who is Neela? Who is Neela? Um, so my name is Neela Janikiramanan. Uh, I am a plastic and reconstructive surgeon by training. Um, so I've worked in the health system for 20 odd years. Um, I do a bit of writing on the side. So I do a little bit of um, commentary and things like that. Uh, and the registrar is my first novel. Um, and it's a story about hospitals and what happens in them. Yeah, and it's it's quite amazing. Whilst the the register is obviously a fiction book, 
it offers so much insight and a very rare insight to, you know, the world of a surgeon in the making and it comes from someone who's actually survived it. So as you mentioned, you're a reconstructive plastic surgeon and a mother of three. That's yes. a lot. <laughs> that's, a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of big jobs all in one. Why was writing this book and telling that, like those stories, super important to you? Um, one of the things that has always frustrated me is there's not a lot of women's stories out there. And it could be because we're all just so busy working and parenting and doing everything that we do. Um, it could be because historically women's stories haven't uh, been valued. Um, you know, for hundreds of years, publishing and reading uh, was all about men's stories. And so I've always found that a little bit frustrating. Um, so there's lots of great medical novels, but they're all written by men. Um, there's really lots of memoir um, also written by men. Um, so I thought it was really important to tell women's stories and not just doctors and nurses, but also the patients as well, because we know that women get different care uh, to, to what men do. Those mm. biases are kind of everywhere. Well, we we're so grateful that that you wrote you wrote the book. As I said, I just I enjoyed it so much, and for everyone listening, I I can't recommend it enough. And in the book, you explore obviously many issues that are sadly a reality for many surgeons, including burnout, mental health deterioration, failing exams, exhaustion, and sexual harassment. And in reading the story in the book and feeling the pain, um, and and the desperation throughout the the entire novel. Mm. I felt so emotional because obviously the book is fictional, but as I was reading it, I knew too it was based on, you know, what the reality is of of kind of for surgeons and and people that work in hospitals. And so it was really, really hard to read because I'd get so into the story. And when I say hard, it was great. I couldn't put it down, but also I would get so into the story (laughs) and then I'd think, oh, my goodness, oh, it's okay, it's just fiction, but then it was like it's actually not. Like yes. this This is the reality. Yes. Um, and and if, so if you do feel comfortable, are you able to share mm. your journey from your first day at medical school to where you are today as, as a surgeon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, th- and the thing that I would say is even though I wrote about a surgeon, a surgical trainee, because that's what I know well and I wanted to get the medicine right, um, so, you know, me writing about obstetrics, for example, I, I wouldn't have nailed it, um, these issues affect everyone in medicine so it's you know whether you're a physician or a pediatrician or an obstetrician all of these specialties have the same sorts of issues Um, so I started medical school I went to Monash University in Melbourne Um, I started straight out of high school I was 17 Um, I was one of the youngest people in the in the class Um, and you know medical school is a funny kind of place because most people are were educated in a private school. Most people are relatively well off. Um, there was a lot of people who were the children of other doctors. Um, so it's it's its own little club. And I, I found my group and I found my tribe and, and they are still my friends. They're fantastic. Um, but it I, I did find it to be a very lonely place. Um, so the first, I, I did a six year medical degree um, there's four-year medical degrees, five-year degrees and six-year degrees um, for various reasons. So I did an old six-year degree and the first three years you spend on campus at university, um, you're slumming it with all of the other kids. It's fantastic. Um, great three years of my life. Made lots of friends, joined lots of clubs, did all that stuff. 
And then the next three years, you're thrust into hospitals and you're given these really vague sorts of instructions, like go to the cardiology ward and find a patient with a heart murmur and listen to their heart and then find someone to talk to about it. So it's it's really confronting because you don't know the science, you don't know the medicine, you're barging into someone's room, they're sick, and you're like, hi, I'm the medical student, do you mind if I listen to your heart? And they're like, oh, who are you? Oh, okay, uh, sure. And then, you know, you put your stethoscope on their chest and you're like, do 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 and you're like, well, what is that, that shh, you know? And then you have to find someone and you're like making these noises in a hospital corridor going, is, is this like a mitral valve regurgitation? And you're like, oh, no, it's not. It's an aortic valve. And you're like, oh, okay, shit. Um, so it's it's a really hard sort of process. And I think, you know, if you do have parents who are doctors or family members who are doctors, they can help you navigate that. Whereas if you're completely new, um, you end up really lonely. And I really didn't enjoy um, clinical medicine at all. And every year I thought about leaving. Um, and in fact, all the way through, you know, my three years of medical school uh, in the hospitals and then my intern year and then my resident years and then my registrar years, every year at the end of it, I'm like, I've had enough, I'm leaving, I'm going to go do something else. Um, and I think it was just, it was probably just that I couldn't think of anything else better to do uh, that, <laughs> that I stayed. Wow. And, and what... I mean, it's so interesting to hear to hear you say that because you've obviously gone on to have an incredible career and mm. you are incredibly academic and intelligent and, and wonderful at your role. But it, it's crazy to hear that the pressure that the, you know, the three years of the end of your university degree yep. put on you, that you thought about leaving so many times. And I think that's yep. something that through the book in reading it, especially in terms of the burnout was just, you know, being on call for seven days and then having to, uh, obviously in the, I don't want to give anything away in the book actually. So, I want to, <laughs> but, you know, being on call for seven days and then having people's lives in your hands and, you know, as, as a training surgeon, if the, I'm not good with medical terms, but the person above, no. <laughs> if they, you know, couldn't get to the hospital in time, the trainee surgeon having to do the operation on no sleep, uh, while while studying for exams and also doing research papers and it was yep. it's just it's there's so much pressure. How how did you navigate the burnout and kind of working through that? And yep. what was it that kept apart from obviously you're like yes. I, you know this is what I'm going to do. I can't think of anything else to do. Yeah. But what kept because that pressure is so high. And how did you stay in it and get through it? Yeah. Um. I had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't sound like a very good strategy. Um, I had two babies, actually, when I was training. Um, I had my first at the end of my first year of training, sorry, in the middle of my first year of training, um, and then I had my second at the end of my fourth year of training. Um, and really by the time I had that second baby, who should be named procrastination, I was trying to put <laughs> off my exam, I was trying to put off my training um, and I thought if I have a baby I can have a year off, that's great. I didn't just think to just have a year off. Um, and it was at the end of, I, I right before he was born I'd had an awful year, I'd worked at an awful organisation with really awful people um, with extremely long hours and very complex, very sick patients. Um, and I was pregnant because this was my escape strategy. So, you know, doing all of this heavily pregnant was a great idea. 
not so much. Um, and and I was just exhausted. And I remember I I got to the start of my year off, and I almost couldn't get out of bed because. And I had another kid, you know, he was he was two and a half to take care of. And part of the reason I was having the year off was so I could spend time with him. And I was just sitting there and I was just like, I can't do this. And the very first day I had off, you know, I worked up until the Saturday, I think. And then I had Monday morning off and I was in bed and I'm like, oh, I haven't had to like get up at 5.30 in the morning to go to work. And I got a text message from one of my bosses saying, do you, do you mind coming and helping me with a private case this week? And I almost threw my phone across the room. I was just like, stop, stop invading my space. Just get out. I, I just need time away from you. Um, and I don't think I even answered for a couple of days. And in the end, I was like, oh, no, I don't have childcare, so I can't, can't help you. Um, and it took me three or four months before I was even willing to speak to any of my colleagues, to text them or... Uh, because I was still studying for an exam at that point, um, even call up my study mates and say, okay, I'm, re I'm ready to study now. Um, and I just had to really pull myself away from that environment. And then by the end of that year, I had a bit more perspective. And I was kind of like, okay, these are the things that worked. These are the things that didn't work. These are the things that the, the system doesn't like. Um, these are the kinds of ways in which I can navigate it so that people are happy with my performance. Um, and it took a really long time to sort of get past the exhaustion and then past the trauma to get to a point of thinking about it in a productive and positive way. And then I was ready to go back. And at that point, things um, really took off for me in a career sort of point of view because... I, I realised all of the enthusiasm that I had lost, the intelligence I think that I had lost, um, and I was able to bring that back into work and prove to people what I, what I had to offer. I feel like that drive, uh, I feel like so many people would probably be able to resonate with that drive after taking something like maternity leave and kind of losing that part of yourself. I think particularly for you as someone with such a a, a job like, like what you had and as Laura said, obviously a lot of intelligence comes with that and I don't know, I am not at that level of intelligence but I honestly felt brain dead for a long time after having my son and the drive I think to be able to kind of tap back into something that even though it challenges me, you know, it makes me who I am, um, is pretty strong and it's really incredible to hear that even with with the struggles and even with all the challenges that you face and what you were doing, you, you still knew that it was important to you to go back and, and pursue it again. It's just incredible. And I think it's really important that we give women space to go through that. I think often women come back to work after having had a baby and they're told... And I hear this from my colleagues now. Oh, she came back and she used to be so smart. Now she's so stupid. As if it's a permanent change that happens to us. But it's not. It's temporary. It's a combination of time out of work. It's a combination of sleep deprivation and adjusting to the um, extra emotional labour that is required in managing a family and kids and all of the stuff that they need. And so for most people, it is just a bit of a hump. But I feel like most women get get pushed out at that point because they're judged as if this is just going to be what they're like for the rest of time which is just unfair 
Mm. Oh, totally. The assumption is completely unfair and I totally agree. I feel like you have to take your time to figure out maybe it's a new new way of of working things out, but that's okay. We'll get those brain cells back. Yep. Um, you've obviously learned many, many things over over all the challenges and everything you've gone through in your career. If you were to pinpoint kind of your biggest learning through the experiences that you've had so far, is there one that you would share? Um, I think I've found, I'm going to use this word really cautiously because I can't hate it. Um, I think I have found my own resilience and what I am able to put up with and what I'm not able to put up with. And the reason I use the word cautiously is because it's something that people external to us really impose upon us, particularly if you work for someone else. Um, You know, you're supposed to be resilient. You're supposed to put up with terrible hours and bullying and expectations and all of that sort of stuff. But the reality is that Um, I mean, resilience can be learned, but an amount of it is also innate and an amount of it is also dependent on what we want from life. And so if you end up being forced to find resilience to someone else's standards and you fall short, it's not your failing, it's actually their failing. And so I think what I learned is my limits and what I can do and what I can't do and how to balance those things um, so that I no longer put myself in situations where I have to draw deeper than I want to. How long did that take you to find that? Long time, long time, lots of failure. And I I wanted to touch on as well, Neela, in the book there was a theme of amongst all of the trainee surgeons and I I, I would say in the medical industry in general of competitiveness and the, the kind of theme of it, it's something that I related to in terms of if you have a day off, you know, you work, and I mean the hours worked in the, in the book by the main character were just crazy, like a month on and then one day off. And on that one day, feeling the pressure to have to do some learning because yes. otherwise you're going to fall behind. And I think in reading that, I was like, oh, I've really, re-. obviously, again, not to that extent, but I was like, oh, I feel seen yes. <laughs> by this. And I, I think personally, it's something I struggle with so much and I just want to switch it off in my head. I wish I could like get in into my, whatever part of my brain is and just turn that off because some days, I don't want to feel this pressure that I should be listening to something or reading something that's going to like help me with my leadership or whatever it might be but it's kind of always there how did you and I think too it's like you go through and what I mean one technique I've kind of learned is that I will have that feel that pressure and then I'll kind of procrastinate and spend like four hours half reading something and like not relax because I feel the pressure but I'm not reading properly and then I've wasted my whole day off and I'm like, why, why yeah. did I do that? Instead of just putting the space, the time away to like, you know, do something relaxing and not think yeah. about it. That's kind of what works for me, but it's still hard. How, how did you, how did you work through that? Uh, I'm, you're assuming I have. <laughs> <laughs> still um, figuring it out. Yeah, still figuring it out. Uh, I think, I think there's also pressure to relax that is unhealthy as well. Yes, um, true. Work looks like certain things for people and relaxation looks like certain things as well. You know, I I don't like facials or massages, you know, don't, don't touch me. Um, and so <laughs> you know, I, think, I think you've got to define what really works for you. Um, what I really need to recharge is 
time away from work where no one can contact me. Um, so mm. I have been known to occasionally go on holidays and not get my ro roaming turned on or go to places that actually just have no internet in the first place. Um, and I, I have colleagues who cover my patients. So I know my patients are safe, but it just means that that constant intrusion of emails and, you know, blah, 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 that we all deal with just just is absent. Um, so that's one thing that I can control very readily. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, it just, we're just all trying to find our way through all of this. And I think, you know, don't feel guilty that you didn't do something productive in your relaxation time you know if you lay in bed and you looked at twitter or instagram and that was your downtime so be it you know it's, it's learning to accept that that's okay as well mm. yeah it's such it's such good advice and I, I agree i think it's a journey i don't yes. i don't know if many people have mastered it but i, I think there is turning your phone off for a bit is a is a very good tip <laughs> And I would say that it ebbs and flows as well. Like, Laws, mm. you've even opened up before about, you know, realising that sometimes self-care for you is doing something productive and mm. that makes you feel good in turn. So it's not something you regret or feel like you needed to have the space. So I thought that was good that you touched on, you know, also feeling the pressure to relax. And sometimes you, you just want to be doing yeah. something productive um, as long as you do find somewhere yes, exactly. <laughs> in your schedule to relax as well. So I love that. It, it is so important to figure out what works for you and not compare it to anyone else. Yep. And the the next thing I wanted to chat about, Neela, was in the book, and if you feel comfortable, I think when you, when you spoke before about kind of being resilient but also knowing, I suppose, with boundaries and knowing what's mm -hmm. appropriate and what's not because I, I think it's, yes, through, you know, building our careers, we do have to go through things that challenge us and help us grow, but then there's other things that yep. do not help us grow and where the, the line is crossed. And, and obviously a, a big one is is sexual harassment within yes. in the workplace. I I think in a lot of industries it's still, or I know that it's it's still a prominent thing, especially I think in the legal industry and in the med a lot of the high-performing industries and maybe that's kind of the thing that, that that especially older men feel like they can get away with it because it's yep. so competitive and so you don't and so people don't say anything um because yep. you know they just want to keep climbing up and yep. up and up did you personally experience that or did you see within your hospital where, where you were working that was kind of a really common is it still still as common as as it was when you were going um, through i i i don't know the statistics on how common it is now because it is something that we don't talk about yeah um and and I would counter the what you were saying about it being in high-powered professions with I actually think that women in those professions, once they get to a certain point, feel empowered to talk about it, whereas mm. if you're looking at, say, nurses or aged care workers, you know, parallel to my industry, it happens all the time and they don't talk about it and they certainly don't talk about it publicly. So I think, I think it's common across the board. Um, I sat down not that long ago. So we, we work discrete terms um, when, when we train. So it's with a particular team of people. And from the time I was an intern to the time I finished my surgical training and became a surgeon, I'd done 21 terms, um, a varying length, three months, six months, sometimes up to a year. Um, and I was sexually harassed or assaulted in 18 of them. And that what that looked like was quite different, um, but I didn't report any of them. 
because, you know, when I was a resident, I worked with a woman who did report it and I watched her superiors try and destroy her career. Mm. And so you learn to put up with it, you learn to manage it. And the problem with that is you're expending energy and an attention trying to manage the people around you to keep yourself safe instead of working and learning. And so that affects the performance that people are judging you by. So you've got, you know, the one or two people who are harassing you and you turn them down. So they're not going to give you a good reference because, you know, you turn them down. And then you've got everyone else who's like, oh, why is she so distracted? Because they don't see that you're like a duck under the, you know, water, paddling, paddling, trying to manage all of this stuff that's happening over there and not tell anyone about it. And so they don't give you a good reference either. And so you're just stuck wearing the consequences of someone else's behaviour. I think that's really unfair. Oh, it's, oh I'm, so, I'm so sorry to hear that, especially 18 out of, how many did you say out of 21? 18 out of 21. Oh my goodness. So I think to hear that, you know, that happened to you, it's obviously probably very likely that, that it's happening to a lot of other people. Mm. And and in the book you you spoke about in the story, the Mount Hospital, um, yes. you, <laughs> there was a, a committee that was brought together to help support yep. mental health um, of those in the program by implementing mandatory meditation once a fortnight. And I did yes. have to say when I read those pages, I was laughing because it was so funny that the meditation was on and everyone wanted to go home, but also you had to have your pages or the, the doctors had to have their pages on. So it was, <laughs> doesn't sound very zen, but anyway. And then um, fruit in the resting room, you know, yes. some yep. rotten kiwi Woo. fruits. So obviously this this isn't enough. Um, and I mean, listening, hearing, you know, how common sexual sexual harassment yeah. is and, yeah. and just everything that's ingrained in the system do you think it can change or is it so kind of ingrained culturally in the industry that there's just, yeah, it's really hard to find anything to kind of make, create a solution? Yeah, I, I think it is changing. Um, I think that um, younger people are a lot more aware of these issues, um, regardless of gender. Um, I know a lot of young men who are very passionate about equity, about safety, um, about being respectful to their female colleagues. A lot of them have, you know, wives and female partners at home who are also in professional industries. And so they hear about it um, from them. It was interesting. I gave, I gave a talk about some of this stuff to a group of doctors um, earlier in the week and at the end of it a couple of the older men in the room came up to me and they said Niela but but we have daughters I have three daughters in medical school and I said yeah and they, and they said to me they've never told me about any of this sort of stuff and I said well maybe maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to mm. you you know and we talked about it but I think that you know, I hate that men have to have wives or daughters or sisters who experience mm. these things to mm -hmm. gain empathy. I hope we can get to a point where they just get empathy. Um, but I think because of that and because, you know, we have these conversations, which is fantastic, more people are aware that it happens, it's common, that it's okay to speak up and it's if the more we speak up, the more we can all collectively drive cultural change.
Mm. Yeah, and and totally normalize it and make it acceptable and because it absolutely should be. Oh my gosh. Um, but I completely agree. It's uh, with you know men kind of only empathizing if they have someone close to them that it can relate to. It is a shame. Um, hopefully that's something that's changing as well. And I think Neela, there'll be a lot of people listening who may be able to, to relate to working in a high pressure environment or a stress or challenging environment. And I'm sure there's many golden nuggets of advice you'd probably have for them, but what's something that you would leave them with? What's some advice for them? Um, Steph, I would say find your tribe. Um, And there's a lot of particularly women um, in a lot of industries who can band together. Uh, I sat next to um, Gillian Triggs at a dinner a few years ago and uh, I remember her saying um, she she was a lawyer before um, she she started being fairly high up in the human rights sphere um, and she was saying when she was a junior lawyer they knew that only one woman could progress and so the women had to compete with each other because only one of them would get through and they also couldn't mentor anyone below them because if another woman got promoted then they would be managed out and so that's kind of where that that whole queen bee kind of behavior came Mm. from it was actually a, a response to scarcity whereas i don't think those conditions exist anymore and what i certainly see in medicine um I've got a lot of friends who are lawyers, um, so in the legal industry as well, and I'm sure in many others, is because there isn't that scarcity because women can all rise together. Um, women are really good at forming a band. And so all of a sudden, everyone knows who that one guy is to avoid. And everyone knows, you know, the strategies and everyone's helping each other. Um, so that's what I would say, you know, find a band of people. And even if you don't have one in your organization, I think we're now at a point where there is always a woman that you can find and speak to about these issues who can help you guide you through these, these kinds of curly difficult issues. Oh, it's, that's such, such good advice. And I think too, I'm just reflecting, I used to work uh, as a ward clerk in a hospital mm-hmm. and in terms of the changes, and it wasn't all of them, but what I found as generally was the the doctors that have been there for a very long time compared to the ones that were up and coming, the way they spoke to me was like completely, completely different. And I was quite, I don't know what the word is, but I wasn't, I think also because I was only there once a week for four hours on a Saturday morning, so I could kind of come in and I didn't, I probably wasn't as, respectful is not the word, but I wasn't as forgiving with, with things yeah. if they asked me to do things that I was like well you can do that yourself <laughs> you. I didn't say it like that I said it a bit nicer but but I it, it did I did feel like there was there was a change and it was even just the the level at which when I spoke to a you know an older doctor versus one of the new ones I felt like when I was speaking to one of the newer younger doctors they were looking at me as I was on the same level as them even though I was administration you know yeah. eight whatever 19 year old whereas the the older doctors it was like they look down on on you and I think it, it's good to see that it is changing because I think we just need to treat everyone as equals and no one's below or above and everyone's um, part of the team yes yes and the amount of times you know that the amazing nurses would pick up on something that you know the doctor might have forgotten to do which is fine because they're so busy yeah 
but even the, the difference in responses um, from the different type of doctors of like some being really grateful and, and some not, not so much. So, yeah, yep. it, it is good to see it's changing yes. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, I think it is definitely changing and I think we have to find ways to reward the people who are changing their behaviour um, so that they continue to have motivation to do so. To finish off, we would love, we touched a little bit on how you switch off from work, but on the times, I suppose, that you can't go on a holiday, <laughs> so, because, you know, we only have so many weeks of holidays in the year. Um, for, for people listening in the, in our community that, you know, they might be medical students or they, they might be in other high pressure jobs yep. and I, I mean, we're so accessible. Like it's something that I struggle with a lot sometimes. You know, you can be accessible through your Instagram DMs, through Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, text, email, all of these things. And it's sometimes like it can be so overwhelming. Yes. How, how do you, I suppose, work through it? And do you have any advice to people that are in really, really high-performing jobs or just in general? Everyone is in a high-performing area yeah, because yeah. we're just all so contactable at the time to kind of switch off, um, yeah, for those struggling. Um. Oh, I'm terrible at it, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> but things that I find can be helpful is leaving the phone by the front door mm. um, and just not going back and picking it up. Whereas if you're always walking around with it, then um, then the temptation is to remain connected to the people in the device and disconnected from the people who are literally in front of you. Um, and look, I still need help with that. You know, my husband will still say to me, you should put your phone away. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, kids are very good at calling that out as well. Mum, mum, mum. And, you know, as it escalates higher and higher. Um, I also think that finding something outside the house that you enjoy doing um, is useful. Uh, and whether that's just going for a walk or going for a run or, um, you know, it doesn't have to be anything. I, I enjoy going for a bike ride um, and I find that that really clears my head. And again, it's an activity that completely disconnects you from your device yeah. because you'll fall off. So I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so things like that, I think, um, can be helpful and potentially achievable for most people oh that's such I think advice. that's such a good yeah I, I even someone from our team the other day said that they they love reading rather than watching movies because when they watch movies they always find themselves swiping things on their phone but if yeah. they're reading they're obviously very invested and can't just like kind of stop halfway through a sentence and pick up their phone uh so it's it's so great and yes do not <laughs> do not try and be on your phone while you ride a bike it's <laughs> great too <laughs> Now, Neela, I know I said it was the last question, but I just thought of one more, no, if that is right. okay for you. Of course. For any medical students listening that are in the first few years, you know, where, where you are at and thinking, how am I going to get through this? This is so hard. I don't know if I can do it. What What is your advice to them? Um, the first thing I would say, which is controversial, is really interrogate your reasons for doing it. Um, you know, are you doing it? because your parents wanted you to, because there were external expectations, um, or you're doing it because you love it. Um, because if you're doing it for other people, then when it gets hard, it actually gets too hard. Um, the second thing, I and, and I, that's probably more, more general advice for everyone as well. Um, the second thing I would say is um, reach out to other people when it gets hard. You know, don't, we've, in, in my book, I almost every scene I chose because it's universal. 
um, obviously telling the stories. I didn't want to tell other people's stories, whether they be a colleague or a patient. Um, but it, it kind of speaks to how universal experiences can be within industries. And so if you can find other people to talk to, to commiserate with, to seek advice from, um, most people will have gone through something very similar to, to what you're going through. So definitely don't suffer in silence. Um, and finally, in terms of uh, protecting mental health, um, Mental health issues are less stigmatised now than they used to be, I think, um, but they still are. And I would say you can still be a good doctor, a good nurse, good lawyer, good anything, even if you struggle with your mental health at times. Um, and the best way to do that is to seek help and seek assistance, um, which does exist. So make sure that you put yourself first in those circumstances. Oh, that's such such good advice to finish with. Thank you so much, Neela, for um, taking the time to chat to us today. And thank you for writing your wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and, and I hope that, yeah, through all of the work that you're doing through the book and just in generally the industry can start to change because I think there's so many incredible, I think that's the other thing that in reading it, I was reflecting on there's so many incredible, like especially female young minds that might lose the opportunity to do something they love because of this, this issues within an industry that just need to change. So thank you for all of the work that you do and, and for taking the time to chat to us today. No, thank you, Laura and Steph as well. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Neela as much as we did. We'll pop a link to check out her book in our show notes. As Lawsy mentioned at the start of the episode, it's a goodie. It's gripping. So highly recommend. Thank you for listening. As we mentioned at the start of this podcast, we're going on a bit of a break, but don't worry. We will be back in your ears soon as a partner with Listener, which is super exciting. So you can find us on the Listener Network from the 1st of August, but also wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to find out more about Keep It Cleaner, you can head to our website, www.keepitcleaner.com. You can find us on the App Store and Google Play and also on all social. So if you're finding us on Instagram at keepitcleaner, at laura.henshaw and at Steph Claire Smith. Bye.